Hi, everyone. My name is Lydia Kincaid, and I'm Managing Director for IIM Innovation in Motion. Um, if you've listened to these podcasts before, you know that usually Lee Harris, our managing member, and I usually talk through some different entrepreneurial advice, um, both on the founder side and also for investor side. Today, we have a very special guest, though. His name's Evan Luxon. He's one of our portfolio company CEOs. So we are going to explore his journey as a founder, talk about his company a little bit, and he will have the opportunity to share advice with you as well. Um, so Evan, I will turn it right over to you. How about you tell us a little bit about yourself and then a little bit about Cintis as well? Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, Lydia, for inviting me on. Happy to do it. Uh, so um, I'm originally from Nebraska, born and raised in Omaha and uh, studied engineering in college. I went to school in uh, Lincoln for that. Uh, left uh, the Midwest for a while to study graduate engineering on the coasts. Uh, I did a biomedical engineering master's program at uh, Johns Hopkins and then went to the other coast and studied mechanical engineering at Stanford and then ultimately landed in the Bay Area uh, for my first uh, gig out of school. And really I've been focused exclusively on early stage medical device development. Uh, so I worked for an incubator in San Francisco. I worked on a lot of different products and a lot of different clinical specialties, um, starting a couple of different companies, and then ultimately made my way back to Omaha, where I live now, where the company is based. Um, and so, yeah, that's a little bit about me. And Centis, the company that I run uh, here in Omaha, uh, is a medical device company that has developed a system to help patients recover faster and with fewer complications following heart and lung surgery. Uh, we've got a product on the market. It's cleared by FDA. We've got some really strong clinical data demonstrating its benefits. And so now we're gearing up for uh, the commercial uh, aspect of it, which will be uh, another fun journey, I'm sure. Absolutely. So um, Evan, when IIM invested, um, you were still working through um, some product iterations and make your, making your way through the FDA 510K clearance process, if I remember that correctly. Um, but even before that, I mean, the company launched um, and and had some investors even earlier than us. Can you talk with our audience really about your idea for the company and what really like clicked in your mind? Oh, this is a venture backable business um, as opposed to sometimes what we refer to as a lifestyle business. So what what really was your thought process around that? Sure. Yes, yeah, so Cintis um, started as a result of another company that I was a part of. Uh, so coming out of this incubator in San Francisco, um, I co-founded a company and was the director of product development for it called Petrero Medical. And we developed a system to help uh, provide real-time uh, monitoring of urine output in the ICU. And one of the initial users that we spoke with about that product, uh, a group of users was uh, cardiac surgeons because they really want to know what the patient's urine output is in the OR. It's a very good indicator of the kidney health. And when they saw what we had developed and the ability for it to remove fluid from the body, they asked if we could apply it to another area that they struggled with, which was their chest drains. And so from the very beginning, I knew that if there was a true clinical need there, it was you know a venture-style company because it was coming out of another venture-backed company with a huge opportunity ahead of it. And so what we did is uh, spun the IP out into another company, which became Centis. Uh, did some early prototyping to make sure that there was, you know, the technical feasibility. Uh, vetted the, the opportunity by speaking with additional clinicians. And then I really knew that it was going to happen, that there was a real opportunity 
after we got some of our first um, work done under an initial grant. So we did some animal studies. And so once I saw the initial animal results and they were good, I knew that, you know, the opportunity was there, uh, the clinical need was there, and it was it was going to be a, a venture-style company. Mm -hmm. And I really like what you said, that you recognized that the need was there. And you figured all that out before you really started, you know, to bring on a lot of investor capital, because that's something that we talk about a lot um, between Lee and I is really looking for companies that are solving a problem as opposed to companies that are maybe a vitamin pill. So we like companies like yours that are a painkiller, like your product is really impacting patient health and patient outcomes. Um, it's making the patient more comfortable. It's also reducing their stay in the hospital. And you have that documented uh, through data. So I think that's really, really powerful um, and, a, and a great story about the company and, and what you're building on and what you're working towards. Um, so you've raised a few rounds of capital and, and you'll be raising another one as well. Um, can you talk maybe about some lessons learned um, that you could share with maybe founders who are listening as you started the fundraising journey? Yeah. So I guess the first thing is um, you're, you're always fundraising, basically, uh, even if you don't have an open round, you know, it takes so long to to get a deal done and it requires such an enormous amount of effort that even when you know, you've closed a round, you still need to be putting all the pieces in place for the next round and making sure that you're expanding your network and keeping investors warm who have seen the company but may, may not have been interested at a, in a past phase. And so just um, expecting it to take a lot of time and a lot of effort up front so that you actually, you know, apply that that uh, mindset around it is important. Um, and then I think the other big lesson that I've learned along the way, having you know raised a couple of rounds now and, and going out and raised another one right now is I think most founders today are, are pretty familiar with the need to be able to pivot the product and the business model and, and to really you know be flexible in, in what they're doing. And that also applies, I believe, to when you're fundraising, uh, being able to pivot the story and the opportunity to fit what the investors are looking for, because it's totally possible that you can have a viable business model and a viable product that's not a venture company. And if you have a company that you want to raise venture capital from, it has to also check those boxes. And so, you know, for us, one of the big things that we were challenged on was pricing. You know, we, we I think we could build a very successful business with our original pricing, but it may not have generated the venture returns that our investors are, are looking for. And so that's one example, but there's a lot of them like that where you, you got to be able to pivot the story and the approach to meet the needs of the investors. Yep. I agree with both of those, Evan, like really knowing your audience, I think is what you're saying with that second half of your answer and who you're going in to present to or to talk to or send information to. Because even within a group like ours, we have some really, really technical people in our group um, who could probably sit with you all day and talk through all the components of your uh, product and, and the implications of those products on patient care because they work in hospitals. But then we also have people who are real estate professionals and owners um, and lawyers and people who really need to hear a different kind of story and different kind of information. So I, I think you're, you really excel at that and being able to tell your story in different ways in a way that's relevant. Something else, Evan, that you mentioned in the very first part of your response, um, always prepare for the next round um, and keeping those like investor contacts warm, even if they said no. I think that's so important um, to keep in touch with people. We've talked about that 
um, on our podcast as well, because I think you pitched to our group, Evan, at one point, and we did say no for that very first right, right. time. And then, like, you know, your company made the progress that we were looking for, um, and you came and pitched again, and we ended up making an investment. So that really does happen, like, in real life. And something, something else that I think you do really well, in addition to knowing your audience, is communicating with investors as well. Um, we really appreciate, you know, the updates that you share with us, the things that are going well for the company, the things you're working on, the things that are challenging for the company. Um, that's something that we really encourage founders um, to do as well. And I think you do a really great job at that. So thought I'd throw that in as well as, as an addition to your responses there. Um, and, and you mentioned this a little bit um, with the next question we talked about discussing just changing your business plan a bit from the beginning. Um, so it sounds like you changed in your pricing model. Um, once I knew that, how about in terms of the product um, and placing a different emphasis for different use cases? Because you've gone through a, a couple adjustments on that front too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the other thing is you got to be able and willing to change the product and not, you know, fall in love with version one. Um, and so, yeah, that has been a big change for us over time. We started with a product that was specifically um, geared towards helping drain the chest better following cardiac surgery, because in that situation, uh, the patients accumulate a decent bit of fluid. It's, you know, got a lot of blood in it. And so it can be difficult to drain. Uh, but we realized that that product on its own was going to be difficult to sell, uh, because it was going to be an, an, another product to add to the other products that they were already using. In other words, it wouldn't replace anything. It would just be a, another thing in their uh, in the patient's, um, on the patient's bedside. And so we talked with a lot of surgeons about this and what we ended up doing was, uh, pivoting on the product and turning it into a device that does a lot more than just provide better drainage. Uh, it now actually provides the suction, uh, to the patient. It collects the fluid. It measures the fluid. It measures the amount of air leaking from, uh, the patient's lung. If they've just had a lung surgery. And that's been critical to our success because actually the main market where we're getting our initial traction and showing the benefit is in thoracic surgery. So the first product we had would not have even had any application to the first market that we're actually pursuing now. And so it's been uh, a big shift over time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and how about related to that question as well, like the makeup of your team. Um, so as, as your business has grown and changed a little bit, um, how has that influenced your, your thought process on who to have on your team? Yeah. So it's always in flux with us because especially for med tech, you know, you go through these different phases where you need different levels of expertise. We've had a core group um, since the beginning, mostly around the, you know, clinical and, and business development and engineering side, you know, the, the real, the real core of, of what we do and the innovation and, and how we make, you know, make a business out of this. But as we've grown, you know, we've had to bring on uh, quality, uh, professionals. And then now the big thing is, you know, we do our own in-house manufacturing. So actually half of our team today is in production. That will change though, over time, as we raise this next round and begin to actually commercialize in a big way, you'll see, a, you know, you'll see a lot of our team shift into sales and marketing. We'll be bringing on the sales reps and, and the marketing folks to do that. So it has changed a bunch and it'll continue to change uh, just, you know, in order to meet the needs of that current phase of the company. Right. Okay. Um, how about Evan, what are some things that you're most proud of that Cintis has accomplished over time? 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing is really just around the clinical impact that we're having. We've got a screen uh, in the office here that displays our real-time estimate of the number of patients that have been served by our device, Thorgard. And so we're creeping up on 4,000 patients, which mm -hmm. is really exciting. Um, and with those 4,000 patients now, we've been able to actually show the benefit. I, mean, I think you alluded to this paper that was recently published showing a one-day uh, reduction in length of stay for patients. Uh, but we've also got some initial data around better drainage, less pain, uh, and it's just getting started. So over time, as we have more and more patients, I think we'll continue to see more and more benefits. But for us, that's really the the main thing that we're driving toward is having that number grow as, as big as possible. Uh, and if we do that well, everything else will fall into place. Yeah, I think that's that's really got to be motivating for you and your team to see that number. I think that's a great idea to have that front center for your team. That's a reminder that what they're doing does have a really big impact. That's, that's yeah. great. Um, so fast forward a little bit in time and what, what will success look like for Centis? What are you building this for? Other than the, the patient outcomes, of course, but uh, yeah, company. Yeah. So for us, you know, the fact that now we've taken on, um, some venture capital and just the way that the business is structured and the medtech industry specifically is just very M&A driven. So for us, you know, in order to generate the returns for our investors that they're expecting, we will need an exit at some point. So, you know, this is not a lifestyle business. This is not something that's going to, you know, um, just continue to, to, to drive along and not have an exit. Uh, and in the med tech industry, there are IPOs, but they're um, pretty rare. I mean, you have to have a really, really big um, company in order to do that or a big, you know, or big change uh, therapeutics or something like that. And so for us, the most likely scenario and the one that we're driving toward is a tuck in with one of the main strategics in the space and there's a bunch of them. And so, you know, that'll do a lot of good for everybody. You know, it'll generate the returns for the investors, but it'll also immediately plug us into their network and their distribution network. And so we'll be able to vastly expand the reach with Oregard and get it into many, many more hospitals and helping many, many more patients. Well, great. And going off script a little bit, I mean, these times we were talking a little bit about right before we started this recording, um, these are, are a little bit tough times right now for startups raising capital and in the M&A space um, is pretty tough as well. Um, what what kind of things is your company doing to weather the storm? Um, is it a matter of, I mean, of course, like managing your burn, um, you're raising this round now to have like additional capital. What are some of the things that you as a CEO are thinking about right now in this economic climate? Yeah. So for us, you know, we're just trying to be as flexible as we can and and react as best we can to, you know, the, the changes that have happened over the past few months or, or year uh, in the market. And so, yeah, the main thing is obviously managing our burn and figuring out how we can get by with less. Um, we're also not super focused on going out and closing a lot of new deals simply because that's what the next round is for is to build out the sales and marketing effort. But we are selectively going after accounts that have been warm and you know with surgeons that we have strong relationships. So we'll continue to do that. You know, we're looking for creative ways to um, get past an initial no from an account. Um, so for us, we, we fortunately don't get a lot of no's um, from the hospitals once they use StoreGuard, but there is sometimes some hesitation, especially now 
around the upfront capital cost since we have a piece of equipment with it. And so just being flexible about that and saying, look, if, if you want to use the product on a limited basis, you know, we'll, we can provide these products on a loaner basis. And so I think that'll help with revenue um, as well. But yeah, it's just a matter of really being flexible, uh, being creative as well, and looking at all different sorts of investors and funding sources um, and just being uh, resilient, I guess, too, right? It's, it's a matter of, it's a mindset and just um, being having confidence that, you know, you can figure out a way to get it done and then and then getting it done. Yeah, I think I think that's a great way of putting it and then being resilient and having the right mindset um, really overlaps on top of everything else that you said. Um, and me, your company made it through the pandemic and as a company in the healthcare industry, um, and a lot of those companies didn't make it. They, they just, they could not overcome those sort of barriers um, in that in that environment, in that time frame. So you, you know, fig- you figured it out, your team figured it out. Here you are today, you're coming out stronger and you're in this next phase of growth, which we're certainly very excited about for you and the team. Uh, so as we, as we wrap things up, um, maybe you could share some advice for founders, some, some takeaways that you'd encourage them to think about founders who are thinking about launching around a funding or maybe in the middle of it, what would you say to them? Sure. Um, so yeah, a few things, I guess the first is just, uh, kind of hit on it throughout this, this interview, but, um, you know, being flexible and willing to pivot, not just on the product, but on everything, on the business model, on the pitch, you know, I've asked you for feedback on our pitch and you provided some great pointers. And so, you know, taking that feedback and, and listening, listening to your investors, listening to the market, listening to your customers and just making changes to put yourself in the best possible position for success, I think is, is critical. Um, the other thing from fundraising perspective is just making sure to think about things from the investor's point of view, because it, it is, you know, a different perspective than being in the company and just focused on, you know, customers and, and, and keeping them happy. You know, the investors are going to are thinking about risk all day long. And so just thinking about what are the most risky elements of the business and trying to minimize those risks as quickly as possible. Um, and then the last thing, I guess, is it's a it's a credo we live by, I guess, or a phrase we we we, we live by here. Um, it started in our engineering department, but I think it applies to everyone. Uh, it's this uh, phrase called monkey first. It's something that I heard um, from uh, Astro Teller, who's the, one of the founders of Google X. And the premise here is that if you're going to teach a monkey to recite Shakespeare, uh, there's a few different things you could do to get started, right? You could work on, uh, oh, sorry, you're going to teach the, the monkey to recite Shakespeare on a pedestal. So he's got to get on a pedestal and recite Shakespeare. You could start by working on the pedestal and making this beautiful thing the monkey's going to stand on, or you could start by teaching the monkey to recite Shakespeare. And the allure sometimes is people want to jump in and do the thing that they can see the most progress on, which is often the easiest thing first. And really, that's not what you should do. What you need to do is focus on the monkey first. And so for us on the engineering side here, that's where it started. That is usually around tackling the biggest technical challenge. But for company builders, I think it applies to everything as well, right? If, if the hardest thing at the moment is raising the money, well, then that's what you need to do first. Uh, and so that's just, yeah, a mantra that we live by here and it's served us well so far. And then I'm going to use that. I like that a lot. Monkey first. No. <laughs> um, that's great. So. Thank you, Erin, for your time. Um, really appreciate your thoughts you shared with me 
and with our audience. Um, and thanks for being such a great partner for us. And I am. Um, thanks everyone for listening. Ditto. Thanks, Lydia. Bye.